Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're so glad you joined us here for the conversation. Our study of the Gospel of Mark is focusing on the busy, productive, and life-changing work of Jesus in action. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Hello, my friends, and welcome back. Got a great postcard today to show you from the Garden of Gethsemane in Jerusalem. What a great place. One of my favorite places to go in Israel. And this was sent to me by my really good friend, uh, Johnny Norton. And Johnny, thank you for being such a Barnabas in my life. Uh, You and Cindy are just a constant source of encouragement. And you can see it just in the things he wrote in the card. Looking forward to spending some time with you in Greece while we do the journeys of Paul together. Just uh, just love you. Love your spirit for the Lord and your influence in my life. So thanks for the card uh, from Israel, but by way of Tennessee. So Johnny, appreciate that. We are in Mark chapter 10, and we're, we're talking about marriage. And we said a bit yesterday about the fact that when Jesus was tempted by these Pharisees that were really trying to trip him up. They were trying to put him in a no-win situation. Uh, When Jesus was tempted by them, uh, he went back to the original intention of a marriage. Look at uh, verse number, well, we looked at it yesterday, verses five through nine. God made man and woman. He, um, a man should leave his father and mother. He should cleave to his wife. They become one. Uh, They ought to be inseparable. They've made a vow before the Lord insofar that God, what God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Who am I to abrogate what God has united? Look at verse number 10. And in the house of his disciples, and in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same matter. So how often now have we seen this? Uh, Probably four or five occasions already In the book of Mark, we've seen Jesus giving a public answer or giving a public teaching, and then later on, his disciples asking for a private clarification. Most recently, we talked about that man whose son uh, was a demoniac, and he uh, couldn't get help from the disciples, and Jesus healed him. And then later on in the house, the disciples said, well, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus had to teach them something privately. Well, that's what's happening here. Jesus has given an answer about uh, divorce and said, yes, uh, there are some verses in the Bible that deal with helping the innocent person or the victimized person in a divorce uh, not to be further victimized, and that's really the teaching of Deuteronomy 24, and the only reason God included those verses was to protect innocent people in a situation where a man is exercising a hard-hearted, unmerciful decision. So God's not endorsing hard-heartedness. God's not endorsing divorce for any reason, not at all. The fact that he concedes it's going to happen doesn't mean that he is wanting it to happen. Uh, Much to the contrary, 
Uh, Jesus says this is ne- was never the intention of the Lord in establishing marriage in the first place. So the disciples are confused about this because they've grown up in a culture where marriage is a disposable thing and people arbitrarily, uh, arbitrarily rather, and whimsically uh, let go of their spouse. And in all situations, it was a husband's decision. A, a woman could not arbitrarily divorce her husband. No, no, no. A husband could arbitrarily divorce his wife. Uh, and a husband who uh, had committed adultery uh, with another man's wife had violated that other man. Now, now, it wasn't the wife that was important. It wasn't the wife that was thought to have committed adultery or w- rather was the victim. It was the man whose wife committed adultery. So it was a very man-centered way of looking at things. And women were viewed more in an objectified way. And what Jesus is teaching is radical because what Jesus is teaching is that women have value. Uh, equal value. And of course, we know that in Jesus Christ, there's neither male nor female, neither bond nor free, neither Jew nor Gentile. We're all one in Christ. So Jesus is elevating the value of those who have been discarded and victimized and marginalized by society, even Jewish society, in the name of the Bible. Look at verse number 10 again. So in the house, the disciples asked him of the same matter, And look at what Jesus says in verse number 11. And he saith unto them, whosoever shall put away his wife. So there it is again, uh, to divorce her. And understand the larger context of divorce is that God hates it. Uh, We read that in Malachi chapter 2, a similar case where the people of Malachi's day, uh, back in the 400s B.C., were divorcing their wives for frivolous reasons. And Jesus, and the Bible says that God hates that divorce. And God is not the author of divorce. He's the author of marriage. And so when the Bible says here in verse number 11, that whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. What a radical thing to say. Because it was never a matter of, okay, if a husband divorces his wife, you know, that she's disposable, I'm going to marry who I want. It was never the, the, the husband that was committing adultery that was the one that was wrong. It was the wife that was wrong. So this is introducing individual responsibility and accountability before God. That if you exercise this clause... Uh, this hard-hearted clause that you just want to marry somebody else because you want to, and you dispose of your wife for no good reason and marry somebody else, then in essence, what you're doing is you are committing adultery. If he marry another woman, he committeth adultery against her. So you are committing adultery against her. That's the radical point. Because it, the, the thought was, and the among Jewish leadership that day, was that she could commit adultery against you, but that you couldn't really do something against her. She was just kind of like a property that you could divest yourself of. And what Jesus is saying here is radical, that you have sinned against this God-ordained, God-covenanted relationship. You've sinned against God in that way. Like, this is radical. Look at verse number 12, and if a woman shall put away her husband 
and be married to another, she committeth adultery. In other words, what is good, good for the goose is good for the gander. And there's accountability on both sides for the instigator, for the one that is violating the marriage covenant. Now, sometimes people call this what, what we say, uh, what, what maybe you've heard, the exception clause, that God is against divorce except for cases of marital infidelity, uh, adultery, the exception clause. And certainly, that's at face value what these verses say. And I could never fault somebody for saying, hey, I divorced my wife. Uh, she was caught in adultery or my husband was sleeping around. I divorced him. I certainly, as a pastor, as a Bible student, could not tell them that they're doing wrong for divorcing them for those reasons. But what I would say is this, two, two things to consider. First of all, just because God allows something doesn't mean that God is endorsing something. And my view is that God always is for reconciliation. That divorce does not have to be grounds, that that adultery doesn't have to be grounds for divorce, but rather can be grounds for forgiveness and restoration and for God to be honored in the reclaiming of a, a God-ordained relationship. I think about the story of Hosea in the Old Testament, where God actually said to Hosea, your wife will be, of all things, a prostitute, and yet you will remain committed to her, and you will even purchase her from the slave market of sin as a great example of my undying faithful love to my people who have committed adultery against me. So wow, what a, what a, what a radical teaching that is. So in, in the Bible, there seem to be two at least permissions for divorce or allowances for divorce, one being adultery. Now, some would say that adultery only applied, the exception clause only applies in a Jewish marriage to that time of espousal. Remember, uh, there was a time of espousal where a man and a woman were contractually married on paper, their husband and wife, like Joseph and Mary. They were husband and wife, but they had not yet come together physically, consummated physically that marriage. Well, in that case, part of the purpose for the espousal period was to validate the chastity of the wife. And that's why when Mary came back from her visit with Elizabeth and she was pregnant, uh, that Joseph was so forlorn. Why? Because they were married it appeared for all intents and purposes that Mary had violated that marriage, that marriage uh, relationship because she's pregnant. What's, what's Joseph to think? And the Bible says he was minded. He, he, he had made a decision that he was going to put her away, divorce her, albeit privately. So that helps us to understand that, that maybe the exception clause really only applied to that espousal period, not to the time after they had consummated the marriage physically. But whatever you believe, I can't fault somebody for exercising the exception clause if their spouse has committed adultery. My counsel, however, would be try to work it out. Try to see restoration take place. Let, let me help you in that regard. There might be a necessary time of separation, but God is honored. His grace is magnified. His mercy is, is platformed 
when we see restoration in these dark situations. So that's one allowance. Another allowance, we won't talk about it much now for sake of time, but uh, the Apostle Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when he was actually answering a series of questions that the church at Corinth had for him. He wrote them from Ephesus, and in, in that letter, he said to them, you know, if you are married to a spouse who does not believe in Jesus, he's an unbeliever or she's an unbeliever. And because of this unequal yoke now, if the unbeliever says, I just, I'm going to leave. I'm not comfortable being married to a Christian. The Bible says, if the unbelieving depart, let them depart. So you allow that person to leave, to make that decision. You're not under bondage in that situation. That doesn't mean you should run off and you know join eHarmony and marry the first guy you see. The, the point is not that you should be remarried. The point is that in that case, abandonment is acceptable because of their unbelief. So adultery, abandonment, those are kind of the, the two allowances for divorce, even though in my view, and I think the view of the Word of God, that's never the intention of the Lord. I think God is always honored best, and salvation is best depicted by a unconditional love and an unwillingness ever to sever that relationship. Now, as sure as I say that, you know people that have been divorced, and you know people who have been remarried, and their lives have been blessed, of course, and I'm not here to judge anybody. I know that the Lord is merciful and gracious, and I can tell you numerous situations where God has has blessed. God doesn't bless us, though, sometimes because of all of our decisions, but rather in spite of them. And aren't you glad that we have a merciful and wonderful Savior upon whom we can rely? Uh, I think that's where we're going to stop for today. We're out of time anyway. Uh, That's a big topic, folks, I know, and I probably have done a poor job uh, talking about it in an exhaustive way. Uh, But if you have a particular question, uh, the Word of God does have answers. And uh, be encouraged and know that uh, God's grace is sufficient. Hope that helps today. Uh, Thanks again for watching and listening. Uh, We'll see you next time. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.